ye, and I cannot stress this enough, ha. You know, I was thinking about something like, howdy, blessings to all. Like, I don't know why that specific statement just rang true as an appropriate greeting, but um, that's who I am. You and I have been going on this trend where it looks like we're reading each other's minds and we promise we're not. <laughs> I don't want to be when in there. I- <laughs> anyway, welcome to another episode of Tea and Thoughts, people. Let's hear it for the people in the back. No, there's 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 no one in the back. So the people in the black? What anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ah! So let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. My name is Hazel. I am one half of this podcast, but I'm fully in need of uh, getting a toothpick because something's in between my, my mouth. I just thought of that like floss song from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody immediately. Wait, there was a floss song in Sweet Life? I thought it was on... um. Uh, fairly odd parents. No, that's my shiny teeth and me. Yes. The floss song. Remember, they were doing auditions for some musical, but this guy had a commercial about floss. And then mm. I forget the name of the character, but he wore a beret and I think a red sweatshirt, and he was singing the guy's floss. Anyway, hi, I'm Odia. I am one half of this podcast, and I am fully famished. So let's get this show on the road let's get this show a cooking absolutely not anyway (laughs) moving on to our first segment is the cup date how are you friend i'm well i'm just um noticing the kind of habits that i have that i need to break stuff that maybe later down the road we can dissect on another episode just not this one or maybe even this one. Who knows? There's a surprise twist everywhere you turn. It's like I'm on the precipice of a spiritual evolution. Uh, on my end, I am. I'm doing okay. I'm here. I'm ready to talk, and then go back to clickety clacking on my assignments slash homework slash research slash everything that you anticipate someone like me would do on my daily routine. Onwards and upwards, which honestly, every time I heard that, I got annoyed. So I don't know why I just said that, but I'm going to say it again. Onwards and upwards to our main segment, What's the Sip? And today we're talking about shame, why we feel it uh, and where it comes from. So I'm going to I'm going to come out with swinging hard. Have you ever felt ashamed before? Girl, all the time. An instance that comes to mind for me is like, Whenever I used to work at my previous job um, and kind of like mess up on things that I knew the answers to, that would always get me feeling a sense of shame. I'd bring it home with me and I really shouldn't. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's kind of an example of something that I uh, know firsthand what shame would be like. But um, it's also it's funny because I was watching a show, the Drew Barrymore show. And she was doing an interview with Jeanette McCurdy and they were talking about uh, shame and guilt and how um, guilt you can really use to your benefit to kind of like help 
make some changes in the lives of the people that you're with and like kind of like get on the same page with one another about whereas with shame it's kind of made for you to feel almost claustrophobic and small and like you can't really get out of it like festers into this big thing um but yeah i guess those are my examples of what i've known or experienced shame to be what about you i really like that distinction that you just brought up from watching the drew barrymore show and drew barrymore and jeanette mccurdy having that discussion specifically i'm assuming it's about jeanette mccurdy's new book like those two they can they can definitely feel the subject matter i don't know if it's because i made some emotional pact in my head as a kid but i'm really like almost aggressively stern about not feeling guilty or ashamed anymore so i think there were some things maybe when i was really really young that i don't even remember if they're even my true memories where i would like i feel i think i feel more embarrassed than like truly ashamed about things and trying to like differentiate between embarrassment i think embarrassment's more it's also internalized but i just feel like it's more short-lived than shame like shame is like a longer process it's a more was it reclusive i think is the word i want to use like it's so much more inward and so much more deeper than like embarrassment like i definitely try to avoid shaming myself and others and also feeling guilty for things because i trust myself like i trust my values i trust my morals i trust my perspective and i feel like part of shame really disrupts that sense of self in ways that i'm not permitting <laughs> in my life so i don't think i feel ashamed often but i talk about a lot of the time in in our show like my experiences growing up in many ways for the things that i find a lot of value in which is like my performance in school and being a decent member of society i don't know about i don't know if stellar is my goal anymore but being a decent member of society I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of validation in the things that I do, the thoughts that I have and the behaviors that I've exhibited, where even if something was strange or off about my interests or desires, I always found a way to like package it so that it still fit things that people admired or enjoyed or generally was socially approved. So I, even if it was a little off, it still wasn't like shame worthy. But guilt, I've definitely felt <laughs> guilt before in a lot of ways. I think I feel guilt all the time. I know we're talking about shame specifically, but you brought both of them up and I'd be remiss if I don't look at that connection. And I do feel really guilty about a lot of different things all the time, especially in inappropriate ways that has been uncovered through therapy. Woohoo! So yeah, but it never ends up going all the way into like being something that I'm super ashamed of. So then I want to ask you then, like, with shame, is it a useful emotion or experience? <laughs> or And what parameters causes people to experience shame? I, I think shame is like 
a tool that I guess can be useful. Like there are some things that people should be, not should be, there are things that we say that people should be ashamed of. And oftentimes it's just used to kind of police behavior or self-police behavior because you know it's something that's going to be so embarrassing that it's shameful. And there are some things that people can do that should fall in that category as just behaviors to avoid. Like being a bully is something that should be shameful a lot of the times, in my opinion. So there's that. And I guess, I don't know if the word useful is what I would use there, but it can be a successful deterrent of that behavior. But all in all, like shame is just not a pleasant feeling, but you shouldn't feel good about really bad things that you do like this week has been (laughs) uh the talk of the town this week or the talk of the interwebs this week has been on infidelity like you feeling ashamed for cheating on your partner is an appropriate feeling in my opinion is it a pleasant one no but i think it's appropriate for you to feel a little shameful for going back on your word or disrespecting your partner in that way if you're in a monogamous relationship specifically so i do feel like in that way can be constructive i think we should really because talking about like holding other people accountable i start thinking about cancel culture or uh things like that so do i like when i think of cancel culture i immediately think of shame in that regard because like you're, it, it takes it takes a group of people to hold a certain person, whether they like them or not, accountable to what they said or done or did, whatever have you. And it can really affect people's mental health and well-being, even if, say, for example, they were not um, made to be pointed out at the best of light, but they're still innocent in some way. Like, very few and far between is it that, but... Um, I notice more how as I get older, there's more people that are willing to provide the feeling of shame to others than there are people that, well, no, I think there are just as many people that are experiencing shame for whatever the reason may be for them. But it's just kind of crazy to me because it's like shame could be used as a weapon to end people's careers. And that to me is kind of, you know, because in an ideal world, you want people to learn from their mistakes. Um, And I do believe that shame can be used as a tool to help them learn from their mistakes. But I also think that, um, actually, I don't think anything else beyond that. I think that (laughs) that's where that is. Yeah, I mean, like, there are those instances, but shame can also be super deadly like especially when we're thinking about the queer community lgbtq plus community some people don't consider themselves part of both if they're one or the other shame is what builds the closet the metaphorical closet like shame glass or not (laughs) glass hay brick whatever the three little pigs was in like raw (laughs) shame is what builds that Right. That deep sense of shame, that idea that you should necess- like you should be erased because of who you are, is that. And then 
pride is the response to that shame is the liberation from that shame or that sense of shame that you're supposed to be ingrained into. And we have to look at it from that instance too. Like, yes, we just talked about a couple of examples where it is an appropriate feeling, but there are so many instances in our social structures and in our cultures, a lot of the time where there's so many things that you're supposed to be ashamed of that are just ridiculous. And I would say this for the rest of my life, the hardest thing I've ever had to be is a little black girl. There are so many things that you are almost required to be ashamed of, whether it's your body, whether it's the experience of puberty that you're going to have. Like puberty is a very quote unquote shameful time in, in the way that it's presented when it's just something that happens to you, your body and should be approached as something neutral or something just well-known, but just that prospect of your being specifically at that time, being ill-fitting for the kind of life you want to live for society that you want to be in is you shouldn't be embarrassed to exist and you shouldn't feel shameful in who you are. And yet it's like, like I said earlier, it's a tool, but it's also a very potent weapon that is just used all of the time. So what do you feel like when it comes to shame and stigma? Do you think that they both go hand in hand? I think that's a good question. I'd like to think about it more and I want to hear your thoughts on it first. Do stigma and shame go hand in hand? They can. They can. Because based off of what you were just saying, like, a lot of queer people are raised to have shame about being who they are. And then when they learn about their own autonomy and find out about the liberation that is pride, because pride is the opposing uh, factor to that, I think that shame and stigma do go hand in hand because how else are they shaming people for liking who they like? beyond just liking who they like they go above and beyond with stigmas of of hiv aids and things of that nature to kind of like ostracize and kind of like bully uh people who either have it or don't and especially to those who do have it because the stigma with them is real because it's almost as if when people are using stigma and shame in tandem with each other to villainize the LGBTQ community, they take people that are already experiencing one of the hardships of the experience, which is having AIDS or HIV, and then saying, oh, look, imagine being like them. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to reel it back and really think about the things that we say and do. And I think uh, the combination of stigma and shame is very violent. And it's not just pertinent to the LGBTQ community, you know, it goes to a lot of the other communities as well. So it's just like, I don't understand why that, I mean, I know why it is that we have it in the first place is because there's just a lot of people that are just genuinely either hateful, don't know any better, or they just, you know, are 
experiencing their own version of self-hatred. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on that. And to answer your question, finally, I think it's like stigma is like the machine and shame is one of the outputs from the machine. It's like shame, stigma is this big operation because stigmas are usually done on a social level. Yeah, you can, you can't really have stigma without that social network whether it's a community, whether it's a cultural group, whether it's a country, a region, whatever. And through the generation of stigma comes shame, comes violence usually, comes exclusion, which all work in tandem. And then of course, like stereotypes. And it's one of those things that is like a, it's a social dynamic. So Thinking about both of us being people of color, me being West African, specifically from Guinea, and you being Filipino, being people from who, well, I'm first-generation American specifically, but both of us have cultures that we identify with outside of like the United States culture. Where do you see some of the stigma and shame that exists in your cultural background? Um... I, there's two that come to mind. It's in pertinence to LGBTQ community and then the other in terms of uh, colorism. Because with colorism, you are made to feel or to be like you have to watch out for your skin tone changing because you're outside playing with your friends and your grandma calls you talking about some. Uh, get back in the house. Uh, you're getting to like you're getting to tan. A lot of people in the Philippines have a lot of stigma around anyone who's tan because if that usually means that you're a farm worker or someone that um, is kind of like working a blue, what we would see as a blue collar job. And over there in the Philippines, it, there's just, they use that against you or like just being queer and the entire like just i have to say it again being queer the entire experience being raised in a in a predominantly christian society that is now the philippines because you know because of colonization and things of that nature girl like do i see it every day every day so and then also there's and I don't know if this borders on. It's not necessarily colorism. It's just I don't even know if it's classism. But when uh, fellow Filipinos look at me and hear my accent, and they say to me, "Oh, you're Americanized," and I'm like, "Girl, I was born in the Philippines. Don't play with me. <laughs> I'm very much as Filipino as you are," and. There's always like some level of shame to be had about that. If you've gone all the way to the Western side and can't even speak your language either on top of it, it's just this whole thing. And I'm like, why is it this whole thing? Why, why can't I just live? How about that? <laughs> I think there we have similar speaking from my background, uh, very similar stigmas when it comes to the queer community likely and uh colorism i mean colorism is 
a very far-reaching accomplishment of anti-blackness like it is everywhere it's so pervasive it's so violent it's so not to minimize it annoying just especially someone who's like of a darker skin tone and seeing the lengths that people will go to bleach their skin and harm themselves to be perceived as lighter to align themselves with the skin tone that they think reflects like class and elegance and wealth etc it's hard to look at and perceive and also like the attempts to just indoctrinate it into you the failed attempts to indoctrinate it into me are things that I think about pretty often especially when I see how it materializes in every culture so there's I, I definitely see some parallels with that I think <laughs> a lot of the times like being a woman of a certain age, if you're unmarried with children, there's a sense of shame that people expect you to have. And I'm not that, I'm not quote unquote at that age yet. Like I'm 25, which is the age that you're definitely supposed to be seriously considering people to marry and have children with, which isn't my reality. Good luck to y'all though. Uh, not even having that aspiration or looking feverishly for someone to partner with and have children with is something that should be shameful. And I remember growing up a lot hearing just like as a, like a warning, like what would people think about X, Y, and Z behavior or constantly being compared to other people uh, as a tool to shame children into certain kinds of, like your cousins are doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, full transparency, I was more than likely the cousin that my cousins were being compared to when it came to the school and stuff. But when it came to doing my duties as a young, dutiful African daughter, like my cousins knowing how to cook certain things or be present in certain ways and social events and things like that, that I just didn't care for as much was definitely weaponized against me for me to feel some deep sense of shame and then to act on that shame with a lot of proactivity, which didn't end up happening. But just those things like constantly reinforcing and inviting the community into our lives to scrutinize us all the time was definitely a huge vehicle for shame. It wasn't successful because I don't care, but it was definitely present. I think we should bully more as a, no, I'm kidding. I, wow. I'm trying to think like, okay, back when you were a tween, specifically a tween, which I believe is ages 10 to 12 or 11 and 12. It's 10 to 13. When you're 13, you're a teen. Oh yeah. 10. Yeah, it is 10 to 12. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I speak English. Don't play with me. So when you were a tween, right? What was Let's think. When was that? 1990? No, I'm kidding. Uh, when oh. you were a tween in 2008. Okay, I was also a tween in 2008. So when you were a tween in 2008, what was it? What were, what were the markers of shame? What would get you laughed at in the halls? I hate... It bears repeating, but being queer. <laughs> like... I got bullied so much as a queer kid back in middle school. Like 
to the point where like it was almost dehumanizing it was just the vitriol i never understood it like i would get called the f word in the bus i even had someone in my bus stop actually put a block of uh because it was uh winter at the time so they took a block of ice from literally from where we were waiting in the bus stop and took it put it in my hoodie and was waiting for me to do this for all of it to come hitting my face but luckily because i have adhd i didn't not only feel the person but also care because i got to my first period not even first period i went to homeroom and the girl sitting behind me was like you have a block of ice on you and i was like what they're like yeah you got a block of ice on you and i said so i had to take it out and toss it in the uh, trash in the hallway but yeah it girl the whole thing about me being queer was if i had which is what i did often wear skinny jeans i was called out if i was just talking with my mannerisms i'd be called out if i was walking i'd be called out if i was breathing i'd get called out it just was so much and it's like too much for the teenage child or the tween child to even handle but that's what i had to deal with when i was out and young and this was back in the late 2000s like the first decade of the 2000s so i mean homophobia was at its peak back in the day i mean i know that there still has to be forms of homophobia but by the time i got to high school was when people stopped caring so that reminds me i was on tiktok the other day also wait no that made me sound like i glossed over your trauma i'm sorry that happened to you friend (laughs) no i am like kids were relentless which is why i thought of that tiktok specifically they were someone just like posted that psa of hillary duff like in this department store and there's there's these girls trying on clothes and someone said that something was so gay and then she would be like oh would you you like someone to say that's a girl wearing a skirt as a shirt i didn't think so and then she's like when you say that's so gay do you realize what you say that was (laughs) that era and that was because everyone called everything gay that they didn't like and I was like, for non-gay people, how are you gay experts? <laughs> how would you? And that's the thing about taking things so literally as a kid, because my social awkwardness made me really perceptive of things that people were saying. And as you all might have caught on, I don't swear. So the way that people were using the word gay like I didn't distinguish it too much from the F word, the F slur when I was like 10 or 11 because of the vitriol that was spewed with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're out here just saying slurs left and right. And then when I heard it on TV and it wasn't censored, I was like, wait, this isn't a swear, but that's besides the point. Yeah, I was just like, how do you know that's gay? Because I knew there wasn't a manual or a handbook anywhere. You know me in rules. So I was 
this this is sincere. Like I was genuinely curious as to how you could identify something as gay if you not even assuming anyone's sexuality. I'm just like, I feel like gay people would know something's gay the most. So how do you know? Where are you getting your intel? Are you hanging out with the gays? Like I was so, I was more so confused as to how it was so quickly identifiable. And then I quickly learned that people were just using it to say things that they didn't like, like you throw like a girl, et cetera, and things like that. And I was able to put it in that camp. But when I was first introduced to that behavior, I was up at night making calculations in my head as to how someone was able to just be like, gay, that one, that thing right there just did was gay. And I'm like, "Mm, it's hand washing. Are we sure? Are we sure? So I thought it was ridiculous pretty early on. You're on something, but also, yeah, it, how did they know? If you want me to be ashamed, have me go viral. That, (laughs) that would trigger shame real quick for me. I'm sorry. You were saying. (laughs) Oh my God. No, it's just, you're so right. Like what I was lost as a kid too, because when people would be like, oh, that's so gay. It's just like girl what do you know about being gay i'm the only one here that knows how like girl well and i'm not even gay anymore but it's just like well <laughs> well actually actually well. we we might never know we may never know but i just yeah i know you're right like growing up was just so weird and like being made fun for that to me i i i, I think i think it's so weird to pay that much attention to someone who's queer to like, I think that's a lot of energy. Like I look back on it and I was like, you, do you really care that much to do that to some, are you, are we, are we rent free in your mind like that? As someone with an insatiable curiosity and someone who likes to study a lot. I was like, y'all brains work a little too quick. What's going on? You, you've been focused. You've been focused. Because there's no way. There's no way. But then when I realized that people were just saying ill instead, I was just like, just say, why are you paying so much attention? That, but that's also how little I cared about like paying attention to my surroundings. For me to answer the question, I would say getting your period at school, I almost said unannounced, unsuspecting. That unannounced. Could you imagine <laughs> unannounced? <laughs> it is like it is September 29th, and then just list your names. Your period is expected to come today. I repeat, your period is expected to come to no. I mean, okay, I wore uniform from kindergarten to 12th grade, right? And thankfully, we had a choice between navy blue and khaki bottoms. You getting your period unsuspecting in khaki bottoms. That is a portal of shame if you bleed through your pants. And I went to a school that was mostly boys. So statistically, the likelihood of someone pointing out to you lovingly is low. It's very low because the amount of empathy in the space was already pretty low. Teenage boys are ruthless. And if you're among a lot of them, you're going to act just as ruthless or worse, which I ended up taking on as a persona. But yeah, that was a a sense of shame. 
I would also say that, like I said, being a girl was just tough, especially being in a girl, being a girl in a school that was mostly boys because they would do God knows what. I remember one instance pretty vividly where I was playing. Okay. <laughs> if I refer to gym class any other time, just know when I say playing or participating, the image I want you to have is me begrudgingly doing it against my will. No joy. Just doing it because I wanted to get the A. So when I was existing in gym class, we were playing dodgeball, I believe. And I wasn't trying to play. But one day, or was it basketball? I don't remember. One day I got hit in the chest really hard with a ball. And one of my boobs started to like swell a little bit because of the impact and the structure of my school at the time, we didn't have a full-time nursing staff. And the day I got hurt is the day that the nurses had not to be there. So I had to ice my chest in the main office. There was nowhere else for me to go. So here I am with an ice pack holding my left chest like this. Well, you all can't see me. But there was, I, I couldn't disappear. I couldn't shrink. I had to sit somewhere where an adult can see me at all times. So here I am just holding the left side of my body with an ice pack, hoping people didn't walk into the office to see me that way. And I'm just like, why would this be so, this shouldn't be this embarrassing. If someone was icing their peck, it wouldn't be this embarrassing. They would be able to do it in class. But here I am feeling ashamed for for growing boobs, having to ice my boob because a boy hit me too hard in my chest, like me on purpose in gym class. So yeah, definitely going through puberty as a teenage girl or a tween girl uh, was a super embarrassing process. A super embarrassing process. But I also think like there are other things that would cause shame that weren't necessarily biological or related to our identities. And it's always rooted in classism. Always. Yeah. Like not having enough book fair money, shame. <laughs> not the book fair money. Shame. I saw a tweet the other day that was like my first experience with classism and they were showing the Rosa crayons. The Rosa crayons. crayons. Yeah, instead of Crayola, shame. <laughs> immediately shame what shoes you had on oh my god shame middle, so that's so funny that you say that because literally in middle school for me my uncle tried to make me uh more like to get me taken serious taken seriously more in school as a masculine person and he got me a pair of jordans when i tell you that there was a clear distinction between me and the rest of the straight boys in school that made a huge divide because if there was even so much as a speck on my Jordans, the guys that I was with that saw that would get so irate. And I just never understood why. And like I was made to feel ashamed, but I'm like, but aren't y'all the ones taken seriously that I am doing whatever I want with my shoes? Maybe there's a Jordan's rule that I didn't know about, but listen, 
I was never made for Jordans anyway, so I don't know why my uncle decided to do something for me like that. So let's start there. And secondly, every straight kid I knew got my they got my attention or they I got their attention rather. And I was too I was too flimsy and too frail and delicate and too much of a womana for anyone to take I'm seriously. I'm such a sweet little baby angel. <laughs> they, they couldn't take it. Could, they could not take it. They, couldn't they take could it. not take it. They didn't know how to take it. They were lost. And I was like, why? It's, it's just, it's curious to me. Yeah, it's just like being poor in general was just a, a cesspool of shame growing up as a tween, as a teen, as an adult. It's all just Fear grave. terrible, terrible. Like there's so many traumas enveloped in poverty and those social hierarchies and interactions in middle school in particular. Like if anyone said they enjoyed being a seventh grader, they were either A, a menace, or B, peaked entirely too early in life. Because if seventh grade wasn't a horrible experience for you physiologically, emotionally, mentally, even academically, you, you are the one making everyone's life horrible. And I need you to sit with that and raise your hand. Identify yourself because it was you. You were the ones going around pointing and saying rainbow coalition it was you and i hope you send some apologies to some people because you ruined some people's lives yeah yeah no it was what a time i'm trying to think about any specific things in pop culture that you just like didn't want to be associated with or else well, there, you know, here's what I think of when I think of shame in pop culture. I think of what they did to Janet Jackson. Oh, yeah. At, at the Super Bowl. What they did to her. We need to see Justin Timberlake experience shame for the remainder of his days. Shame. Shame. <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> <laughs> what did you say no i was like that was one of my favorite scenes from game of thrones only because like i know it's not yeah. funny <laughs> but wasn't it funny <laughs> there was entirely too much nudity in that show but no i just like i don't know because i kind of want to pivot for a second what gives you secondhand embarrassment it's like you're, you're leasing the shame it's not yours um, when an interviewer asks a celebrity a very invasive question that leaves both of them unaware of what to do next that there's nothing like that that is more anxiety riddling than watching live television of an interviewer asking a celebrity a question that might be out of pocket and that and that uh, celebrity just sitting there like, no, that there's something about that. 
that lim- it makes me want to close my eyes. <laughs> Everyone's uncomfortable. Everyone is uncomfortable, and it happens too far often. And it's just like there's that. Um, and does it have to be strictly in pop culture? No, just like in general. Because I'm thinking about things like. But you know me, I always have very, very specific examples. Like you're talking to someone and they bite their tongue while speaking to you. Like I, <laughs> I feel, I feel it too. I feel it too. Like, I'm just like, ah, man, this is embarrassing for everyone. Like, I don't, should I keep talking while you're literally in pain? Like, what do we do? Or anyone just experiencing pain in front, like an acute pain in front of you because of like tripped or something. I'm just like, ah, ah, I don't know where to look. I don't know where to put my hands, which is normal for me, but it's like heightened when I see someone I, else experience that. Yeah. It just, anything, what else gives me secondhand embarrassment? Um, when someone doesn't know the answer to something, but you do, and you're just watching it. <laughs> Now, now you're a sweet baby angel intellectual that people can't handle. <laughs> that what you're saying. It's like when I'm doing my Thursday night trivia. We're writing that for merch. When I'm doing my we're... Thursday night trivia and that other person just doesn't know the answer. I hurt inside. No, I hurt inside. Isn't that Justin Bieber song? Like he's like, when you cry, I cry. <laughs> or something. Yes. Yeah, is that how you feel? <laughs> like the answer is Kansas. The answer is Kansas, and they just don't get it. And and you melt. <laughs> and you or 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 watching someone on television be so airheaded that they're not aware of their surroundings. Scary times. So me. Just I say was thinking just, just say I embarrass you. Maybe so. I I'm trying to think of other things. Oh, I know. When I'm on social media and I'm on Twitter and someone like reads something, but they misread it. So then they their comment to the tweet is based on their reaction of something that they misread. And then someone has to correct them underneath yeah yikes this is the reason why i don't speak it's the reason why i post on social media probably three times do. A year. repeat that one more time i was saying that when someone misunderstands a tweet and they comment underneath with their misunderstanding as what they're reacting to and then someone clarifies to them that they misunderstood what was being said It pains me. Okay, my friends. Now for our final segment, be our guest where we take a question from you all and integrate it into our episode. So a question that we got recently was to talk a little bit about experiences as people of color in corporate spaces. And I feel like there could be a lot of shame <laughs> interwoven with, with experience experiencing being a minority in a corporate space do you have any experiences with that my friend you know what it is i worked very stereotypically 
I, I, I was a walking, walking stereotype at some point because I, I work in the beauty industry, but not just in the beauty industry. I was a wax technician. So I would be waxing people all the time. And um, just some of the things that happen in that environment as a Asian person was very interesting because a lot of people would either book because I'm Asian mm. or not book because I'm Asian. I oh, actually had one client one time. Yikes. I had a client one yeah, I know, right? Yikes. I had a client one time who um, called and they were like, oh, and can you make sure I don't get paired with someone who's Asian? You know how the Asians are. I said, say that one more time for me, please. You said, what? You know how those Asians are? I, beside myself, truly beside myself, so much so that I had half the, I had half a mind to put on a Filipino accent just to take care of this girl's brows. And then when she leaves, go back to my American accent. I out of pocket. <laughs> out of pocket. That's why your ancestors don't text you back. <laughs> I had half a mind, but I didn't do that. <laughs> but that's an example of being a person of color in the workspace, especially when it comes to like me working in the beauty industry. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that for me. What about you? Yeah, I would say that sometimes there's a heightened anxiety. There's also like dealing with things like people sabotaging the work that you do for you to look worse, especially if you're the only person of color in a space. I've had a lot of very fortunate examples in professional environments where I wasn't the only person of color or I was working. The majority of the time I'm working under a person of color specifically a woman of color and most specifically black women. Like I've only mostly only worked with black women in charge of me. And in the rare instance that I didn't, I had some decently positive experiences, but I did have a recent experience where I was like tasked with really working on things like diversity initiatives and whatnot. And I was the least senior person there. So that showed you how seriously they were taking the situation. But on top of that, I was... I didn't feel like they were taking the work that I was doing seriously. And that was really frustrating. But then I also felt the need to like really police myself and my behavior and how I express my frustration. And it just feels like you can never win sometimes. And I think it could be a really isolating experience, especially if you're one of those people I'm not, but I know there are a lot of people who internalize feeling like they're like a sole representative of their background and people who look like them, they feel like they have to do a certain, behave a certain way or do their job in a certain way for opportunities to keep going to other minoritized communities. And that's a lot of pressure to take on. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm not, like I said that I'm not that way. I do think that there's probably some subconscious element where I'm just like, I know that I'm black and I know that you know that I'm black. And I know that means something. And it might not mean the same thing to each of us, but I know that means something in this context. So what am I going to do about it? And how am I going to react to this space? So it can definitely make you victim to a level of toxicity that just isn't fair and is very evident. 
so it can it can be really tough it can be really tough but you should never be ashamed of who you are and where you're from because i definitely think like ascending up a professional ladder or corporate ladder specifically can open you to a lot of shame and guilt in terms of where you come from especially if you grew up in poverty like we did (laughs) and and making a certain amount of money and things of that now, and maybe your interest changing or your interest not matching the people that you're around. And that being something that you feel a little shameful or embarrassed about. And I say, throw all those conventions to the wind because that's the white supremacy complex working against you. And they should never win. So now are we at the end? Okay, bye. Uh, not this. <laughs> Toodaloo. Well, it's about that time we end our episode. Uh, thank you for tuning in and for the haters for tuning out. Um, actually, a matter of fact, you can tune in if you want. We It's a free stream. No, as the number one best-selling podcast on earth, we welcome you to continue to stream like and subscribe uh follow us everywhere you can find us you know who we are you know what this is and you love this product (laughs) so thank you and we will see you next time on tn thoughts that's tn thoughts you should know because you're listening to the show already follow us everywhere and we have very strong feelings for you i think i need some more time before i can say love see ya That's inappropriate. No, that's just about right. That's what I thought. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.